0: There's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on the Sinn Féin side of the house.
1: We're very reluctant to say what's red lines, but but we do have to take climate seriously.
0: There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. So hello, you're very welcome again to Your Politics, RTE's weekly catch-up on all things political. With me, Miholahan, Lehan, Sinead Spain and Sandra Hurley from our political staff. We're going to start uh, with some news, some big media news. Uh, and unfortunately, that news is about RTE. And Sandra, you've got the details of a, of a bombshell statement that was issued today.
2: Yes, a, a serious developing story here about RTE And uh, in a lengthy statement this afternoon, RTE has admitted that it paid top presenter Ryan Tuberty hundreds of thousands of euro more over a period of six years than it declared to the public and to the Oireachtas. And in the statement, the board of RTE said that between 2017 and 2022, Ryan Tuberty received a series of payments totaling €326,250 above his annual published salary. Now, these payments and a discrepancy around them were uncovered in March of this year, we are told, during a routine audit of RTE's accounts. RTE then brought in external auditors, Grant Thornton, uh, and Grant Thornton um, put together a report that was furnished to RTE's board, who met last Monday, uh, and then they issued this statement.
0: So basically, what we have here is RTE saying they had an off-the-books system, for paying Ryan Tuberty, initially with a commercial sp- a, a commercial entity, not named, and subsequently because the deal was underwritten by RTE, is that correct? Yes. Subsequently, the payments, how were they made?
2: Yes, and that seems to be the heart of it, the fact that RTE underwrote uh, and guaranteed certain payments to Ryan Tuberty from a commercial partner. So if I explain this, it says that there was a separate agreement made between RTE and Ryan Tuberty uh, guaranteeing additional annual income of 75,000 euro. This was intended to come from a commercial partner. It was uh, in exchange for a number of personal appearances over the course of a year. Uh, In turn, RTE reduced the uh, overall sponsorship uh, payment coming from that organisation. But what happened over a period of two years is that in the second year, the commercial partner did not renew the agreement. But because the payments had been guaranteed and underwritten by RTE, Instead, RTE paid Ryan Tubridy directly the, the 75,000 euro. Through his
0: agent, is that right?
2: Yes, through his agent uh, on his behalf, it says in the statement. So
0: the public, and there's always a lot of attention on the salaries of RTE's big presenters. So the public was getting one set of figures, but the actual set of figures was higher because of this arrangement that nobody knew, well... That's the other question. Who knew what about this and when did they know it?
2: Yes, well, we're not told in the statement exactly who knew about this. Certainly it was agreed at senior levels in RTE. Um, Now, what RTE says is that since that emerged, it has conducted its own internal review of the remuneration of the remaining top 10 uh, paid presenters. They say that those contracts indicate that the the figures in their cases have been correctly reported, but they have now requested Grant Thornton to review all of those contracts to independently validate the numbers.
0: Okay, so as I say, it's a breaking news story. And Sandra, you're going to have to leave us because the news is breaking and there's more news coming in uh, on this throughout the evening. And doubtless, we'll be hearing a lot more about it uh, in the days and weeks ahead. But for the moment, just to bring you the facts as we know them, Uh, We're not going to comment on them for now because we don't know enough. um, But certainly we can expect to hear more about this in the days and weeks ahead. Um, Let's talk about what was actually the big news of the day up until I woke up this afternoon and found all this out. Um, Chaos in Cork, Mihal, at the, um, the convention, at the forum on our security.
1: Yeah, when this was all published, this plan about six, seven weeks ago, I mean, it had the potential to be quite something that could go below the radar. Yes, there were some contentious points there. There were suspicions amongst some who raised this in the doll about what a forum uh, on international security policy really was about. Is it, a, in the words of People Before Profit, a stitch-up to joining D- NATO, really an all-but-name? But the Intervention of the president at the weekend really did put this center stage. And then today in the hall, in, in UCC, uh, protesters making it very clear what they thought of it. And Michal Martin having to speak louder than maybe he speaks that loud at parliamentary party meetings. But it's not a kind of side you see of him in the doll, uh, very much really having to say in his view that it is for democracy. Uh, and it is the measure of democracy that you should be able to allow free debate at the same time those protesting uh, were removed by the guardie from that hall, uh, leading to at least uh, some disquiet uh, among uh, the people who who share their views about how they were how that was all handled. Uh, on a more humorous level, it did. Mihal Martin, speaking at that volume in that way, talking about things, did kind of invoke the memory of Paddy Hillary talking about you could have Fianna Fáil, but you can't have Boland. was that kind of heated uh, political arena that was definitely there.
0: I think... I think you meant that the other way around, did you?
1: Uh, you can you, you can have Fianna Fáil, but you can't have Boland, isn't it? Okay,
0: go on. Yeah. Okay.
1: Or you can have Boland but you can't have Fianna Fáil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but... That, that that was the general sense. I mean, did Michal Martin envisage this when he began this whole process? I don't think so. I think the cautious politician that he is wouldn't have envisaged something like this. He probably wanted to have a debate, probably wanted to inch slightly away from where things stand on the foreign policy issue around neutrality. Mm-hmm. Very, very probably mildly and small. But something perhaps that some would say is Michal Martin looking to that European Commission job potentially in the middle of next year and this would be something he could look to uh, from a legacy point of view. That would be one of the suspicions.
0: So Michal martin Martin's been at the centre of this but made people before profit, I mean, they've certainly been making this issue very much their own, haven't they, in the last few weeks in the door
3: And they were the first ones really to cry foul for it. I think this is really where it became part of the public discourse was they raised it in the Daw last week and Micheál Martin had quite a, an allergic reaction to... Uh, the manner in which they raised it, and the fact that they were calling it a box-ticking exercise, and that it was just uh, a, a play to to bring people towards uh, a, a, to changing their stance on neutrality, a softening and up to, exercise, softening up it, exercise yeah. was exactly how they had put it. And Michael Martin. Did not take kindly to the remarks in the house last week, and you can only imagine that this was not this was the worst possible start that he he would have wanted to have protesters there unfurling a banner in front of the cameras, in front of the the media and the invited guests, and all the and the, the chair, dignitaries, of course, and who the was the chair. singled
0: out by the president in his interview for which he subsequently apologised.
3: Yes, so I would imagine he's uh, not too pleased with the the start that it has made but in a in a roundabout way it might be a, it might be one of those things that serves to put it to bring it to the public consciousness to bring it to the public mind and and bring yeah. it to the fore and Fianna Fáil we're sort of trying to explain away the president's remarks like that last weekend
0: so the question is: Okay, we're going to have four days of this this go away on Friday, and then two days in Dublin next week. The question is: What happens with the outcome and with the conclusions out of all of this? Where very does this little, go? A very very little.
1: <laughs> a report will go to Micheál Martin uh, and go to government. Uh, Labour and Brendan Howland saying: whether well, it should go to the Dáil as well. I don't think there'll be a problem with that. Now, then there'll be statements in the Dáil. What really happens? Do things change? Maybe the triple lock, but was that on the way anyway? That you wouldn't need that UN uh, green light for overseas Mm -hmm. missions. There's
0: the PESCO level, and particularly in terms of the um, cyber and uh, the marine cables, isn't that right? Yeah, and
1: we have and allowing more. The key word there is interoperability, isn't it? Where we will be able to work with, where Ireland will be able to work with other uh, countries on things like that, probably in a more effective way. But I mean, does it alter military neutrality now? I think definitely Well it's not. been
0: changing All I mean th- the level of our cooperation with PESCO and activity uh, with PESCO has stepped up yeah. dramatically in the last 18 months and Tony yeah. Connolly had a very good piece online
1: yeah. at the weekend which is well worth reading if we can give it a plug. And then there was the controversy wasn't there around the Ireland being involved in the demining uh, work in Ukraine as well that was seen to have overstepped a certain mark but I think it's it's more things like that now and if anything you can see a push from a broad swathe of the opposition not the people before profit TD's alone but a push from Sinn Féin Labour to have military neutrality enshrined in the constitution now and interestingly too that view also pretty much echoed at the Fianna Fáil parliamentary party meeting last night very much firmly on the side of maintaining that military neutrality so it's hard to see at the end of all this what really changes. What room for manoeuvre the government actually has. Yes and was it necessary?
3: I'd say part of the upshot would be the chair can take her time writing that final report. Take her time. Um, will we be taking? Well, would Fianna Fáil be taking its time, Michal,
0: about the proposal to uh, appoint a deputy leader?
1: Yeah, that was interesting. That was always a question that was raised in Fianna Fáil when Derek O'Leary had to exit the post after the infamous Aractus uh, dinner in Clifton in, in 2020. I suppose it's interesting for many reasons. One is Mihal Martin is abroad on government business last night. And that was always said if he went to Foreign Affairs that a night like this was going to happen. It happened perhaps sooner than was expected. This was a fairly coordinated, cohesive Fianna Fáil parliamentary party meeting. And of course, if you don't have a deputy leader, there is no one really uh, who can chair it with the official imprimatur of the leader. So this, did happen. This proposal, coming from Malcolm Byrne did have support, and support from many people, and there was no dissenting voice there. That's interesting too. No one intervening on behalf of the absent leader to say, I don't think this is a good idea, because clearly the leader doesn't think it was a good idea, because he's had uh, such a long time now if he wanted to appoint a deputy. So you can see things are afoot there, moves are afoot. It's when will it happen? What does it really mean? I think in the short term it means that Michal Martin really can't be out of the country uh, on Wednesday nights during PP meetings.
0: There's a piece of advice from Micheál, free of charge if ever he wanted it. And uh, Taoiseach-Leo Varadkar as well also kind of talking, because there'd been some uh, speculation, hadn't there Sinead, that when the three Fine Gael junior ministers came out with the proposal on tax cuts for uh, people on the average on the average wages. Um, <clears throat> there'd been some speculation this was about Fine Gael trying to carve out its own identity, but the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar talking during the week about no, it's, you know, he doesn't see Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael needing to work against each other at the moment. They can do that kind of defining closer to an election. They're
3: all part of the one team and we can wait for the summer economic statement and we can carve out our own budgetary priorities once that's published and we know what the parameters are and we know where what the fiscal space is and and all of the rest. So there's there's nothing to see here.
1: Yeah, they're buying a bit of space, government, by saying the summer economic statement isn't agreed yet. But I suppose some things do become very clear now and you, you got a sense of that from the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party meeting last night. This push from TDs and senators that you have to take ownership uh, of any tax cuts. But of course, that is... So isn't. what
0: the leaders are saying isn't necessarily what the backbenchers are feeling.
1: no. Uh, and of course, that is the key thing for both parties, that the fact that Fianna Fáil have the finance ministry when it comes to the tax cut, who gets mm-hmm. to announce it? And I think you could see in the doll this morning, uh, Michael McGrath really going early on that, talking about a tax cut of some sort for every worker and confirming the budget day effectively as well for October 10th.
0: Yeah, I'd watch that space with Michael McGrath as well. And, you know, in terms of this contest for ownership of whatever the goodies and it sounds like they're going to be uh, lots of them in the budget within, of course, the whole fiscal rectitude uh, envelope that the government says it's abiding by. Uh, but, you know, I'd say he's got sharp elbows.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think it's when you watch. Questions to the finance minister as well. It's, it is interesting that the junior minister sitting beside him is Jennifer Carol McNeil, who, of course, was one of the authors of that article talking about what a kind of tax break Fine Gael was interested in.
0: Of course, her colleague, Pascal Donoghue, was saying she'd have read the central bank, wa- bank warnings about tax cuts and their capacity to uh, stoke inflation in the economy and overheat everything. And yes.
1: Yeah. And at the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party meeting last night, the message from Pascal Donoghue uh, was slightly... Well, not slightly, as expected, measured, maybe slightly different to what others were saying there, talking about another budget surplus and how it will be handled responsibly.
0: What about um, what's been going on in the Shanad uh, this week, uh, Sinead? Because we had the hate speech legislation uh, before the Sianad. And it's interesting the contrast in the debate we've seen in the Shanad on this legislation and the debate you know, near unanimous support across the door.
3: Yeah, this passed through the doll almost without a, a whimper. Um, it passed through almost pro forma through the doll, but got to the Shannad and last week the, de- the debate was opened and so many people wanted to speak on it that they had to have a second session at it this week. And it seems that uh, the public opposition to the bill has ramped up since it since it came through the doll. Senators spoke in the last couple of days about huge numbers of emails, that they've had hundreds and hundreds of contacts and not just from what some people said, the the normal people that you would hear from through these things, civil liberties groups, all sorts of different groups representing huge swathes of society have been in touch with senators. And the number of it seems to be that the the bill which will outlaw hate speech and will outlaw uh, inciting hatred doesn't actually define what it means by hate and this seems to be a problem for a huge number of people. Now the Minister for Justice has said that she has spoken to the previous Attorney-General and the current Attorney-General. Both have said that it is not necessary that there is enough statute there on the books already so it's not quite necessary to define it and it will still be an effective piece of legislation without it. But across the board we heard from Fina Fáil, we heard from Fina Gale, we heard from independent senators, we heard from Michael McDool look to have of the piece of legislation. And of course,
0: Michael McDoule, you know, when he stands up and talks about the law, there's a former, there's a senior counsel, an eminent senior, senior Council, counsel, former a former attorney AG. general,
3: former justice minister. Yes. So when he stands up, people do listen. And he had an opinion piece in the Irish Times about this also yesterday. Now, he looked to have it deferred until the end of the year. So six months where we could uh, be teased. The issues could be teased out further and we could he could table more amendments and so on. That wasn't passed. So it will progress on now. But there is a lot of concern uh, I suppose amongst people people just a little bit having a bit of a wobble and as I said within the government and without.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, when,
3: because it's, it's has a that debate is over now, is it? That debate has ended, so it now progresses to a committee stage. So this is the point at which people can put forward the amendments. So the expectation will be that there will be a huge number of amendments. So this could take quite some time to pass. OK, we'll be watching uh, that space and you'll be keeping an eye on it for us. Uh,
0: one issue that seems to be never ending, the Children's Hospital.
1: Yeah, the Children's Hospital, we know... Categorically, now that if there was a hope that it would open in March of next year, that it would be ready. Uh, construction-wise, well, that has been pushed out by two months to May anyway. Uh, and Sinn Féin raising serious questions about what's happening in, the, in half of the operating theatres there, party saying it has information that major changes are necessary to the ceilings, uh, which could lead to lengthy delays. It's the ventilation
0: system. It's the ventilation it?
1: system. Now the Which is
0: pretty critical in an operation theatre. It yeah. would
1: seem so, and, and there were documents that said that work had to be suspended on the ceilings Uh, at the end of May, even though the hospital board saying everything's proceeding along current lines and if changes have to be made, they'll be made afterwards and they will be minor. So that's difficult to know just exactly how much changes will have to be made, but we do know they're being considered and they're under review. What does it mean in the overall since then? Well, it is going to take about six months, it seems, from when the hospital is fully completed it construction-wise to get it ready to see patients. The Taoiseach saying there's an expectation in government it will see patients at some point next year. Of course, if it doesn't and if that election is in the early months of 2025, well, then the key kind of infrastructure project, the piece that had been spoken about for so long, mightn't be completed and that is going to be be politically embarrassing that there's no doubt about that. Interestingly too, just kind of when it comes to contracts and when it comes to the relationship between the the contractors and the hospital board, the board saying they're going to withhold 15% of payments because it hasn't got an up-to-date programme of works as to when it will be completed. So there's a a way to travel yet and it seems it's, it's a way that is going to include some further difficulties
0: back to this problem, isn't it, again and again in this country of, you know, we, we get the big launch, we get the big, and God knows there were so, so many launches. I mean, this children's hospital saga, I remember Bertie Ahern going, but I remember Mary Harney, I remember when it was the matter site, yeah. then we had James Riley and he came in and took the decision. It and, does
1: go all the way back to 1993, uh, the first proposal that the idea Begins See, I knew in 1993, know. yeah. And the figures are along the way going for 500 million uh, all the way up to at least plus 2 billion now. Uh, and it doesn't, it, is it really even the final figure at this point? It's it's It does seem to centre on the final work to get it completed. 80% completed, say, yeah. BAM.
3: An interesting feature of the debate, though, this week was uh, those documents which were released to David Cullinan, he said by whistleblowers, the government suggesting that there there could be, this could be, someone acting on behalf of the contractor because the contractor and the cra- contractor and the government are certainly in certainly have a here relationship, And they yes. have a tetchy relationship and there will be, as there always is with any massive contract of this type, there's a bit of toing and fro at the end in terms of determining who's responsible for which parts of the payments. Yeah. 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 And the government accusing Sinn Féin of being used as some sort of a vehicle by the contractors or by agents acting on behalf and of the contractors. unwittingly
1: contractor. undermining the state. Interestingly too from from BAM saying that they weren't involved with any third parties but there have been a lot of claims about over 2,000 in total and out of all of that it seems less than 2% have actually gone in favour of the hospital contractors. That's a figure of about 13 million or thereabouts.
0: And it's not the only problem in health, is it? Pascal Donoghue again admitting this week, yes, he'd probably have to bring in once again and we were supposed to, again, as as far back as I remember Leo Varadkar saying as health minister, there wouldn't be another supplementary health budget.
1: Yeah, that work is underway on that. And I suppose if it was another time where money was tighter, well then that would be a major crisis but it does seem like it will be a colossal figure somewhere in excess of a billion Uh, and it just has to be nailed down in the next few weeks but no doubt, uh, again, Uh, significant extra money required in the health service.
0: And this is one of the problems with health. I mean, it's, it's always the huge big ticket item in any budget, in any year, and no matter every, you know, for the past few years we've been getting record investment, record budgets, and still record demand and you know uh, because we've just got so many growing population
3: record investment record budgets record waiting lists uh, record numbers of people you know waiting to have procedures and we have record numbers of vacancies right across the board in terms of the health system so massive problems being stored up there okay two things I want to touch on quickly before
0: we go Uh, once again Michael McGrath today uh, talking because it turns out in the week when we learned we're the most
1: expensive uh, country in Europe he's talking about the higher energy costs here. Yeah, the language is very clear now from government. They believe uh, in the clearest terms that those energy prices have to fall for households because, again, last month, the CSO figures today showing that wholesale energy prices fell by a further 16%. I suppose what was really interesting from the finance minister today is that government have a view that they don't believe further interventions from the taxpayer, that is those 200 euro payments, that they are justified given what's happening in the market, that it is up to the energy providers now to make the cuts. But then it comes down to, like many times in the past when, government have spoken to banks about certain charges and interest rates and the like can they do much more than urge them urge them in the strongest mm-hmm. language uh, it do, it doesn't seem so appears to calling for an investigation into those figures saying that Ireland is out of kilter now with other EU countries
0: and a lot of politicians talking about uh, what, what what you call me pop star inflation with the taylor swift uh
3: Gigs in Dublin next year? Big concern about the price of hotel rooms and the lack of availability in hotel rooms. And this was discussed at committee today. The government is to meet with the hotel operators. They have given them quite a number of breaks in recent years. They looked after them very well during the pandemic. There were different payments uh, made to businesses, including hotels. Also, hotels have availed of a cut in the VAT rate, which we thought would have ended in the last budget and at the last minute appeared to be extended for another year. Um, so hotels have benefited hugely from government largesse. They can larges, expect a lot of scrutiny, I think, in the run up to the budget. they can expect a lot of scrutiny. Yeah. The government saying they'll meet them next week about those high prices. You yeah. Swifty, Michal?
1: No, I'm not actually, but the problem could be Swifty. Uh, uh, and <laughs> it was Beyonce in Sweden... That led to hotel room prices soaring and also restaurants uh, and huge returns because that was a fairly limited tour by Beyonce of Europe. It and showed up in their inflation it figures, did, didn't yeah, it? yeah, the clearest yeah. terms. And a fear here by Pascal Doon and others that it could all happen again.
3: Do you think they can shake it off? Oh! <laughs> Okay, that, uh,
1: uh,
0: there we're, we're finished. finished right no, no, yeah, yes. we we'll leave it there. Uh, Sinead and Micheál, and before that, Sandra, thanks very much indeed uh, for joining me. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, subscribe, like and follow as you will. And we'll be back with more on your politics again next week. Till then, from me, your
2: Lawler, goodbye. <laughs>